It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Listener Johnny sending us some pictures this morning of the snow. He lives uh, south southeast of Winnipeg, saying it's the sent us a video link for the song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> He's a big snowmobiler, yeah. so he likes to get the sled out. I don't know if what fell last night's going to get him there, but it's getting him in the mood for sure. I'm terrible at figuring out how much snow accumulated. At, in any given storm, like Greg walked in, he's like, how much did you get? Cause I'm south of the city. I was like, I don't know. I want to say a couple of inches. He's like, yeah. And I was like, I don't know. What is that? And he shows me with his fingers. And then I'm like, right. No, that's not what fell. But <laughs> I just yell things out. And it certainly seemed more than, I felt like it was more than I thought was coming. Even though we talked all day about what was going to fall. Yep. Once it started happening, both myself and Moose were like, hang on. He went outside, came back in, in a real quick, like fashion. He wasn't interested. Yeah, well, I, I was on Instagram this morning looking at one of my friend's videos and they were saying, look, I knew, I know the snow, the snow was happening, but I failed to account for the fact that there would be an accumulation on my car. And now I'm going to be late for work because it was encased in the snow. Well, that's when you, that's where you judge, I think, snowfall <clears throat> amounts, right? You step outside, you look at your car and sometimes it feels like your car is just coated with like a foot of snow. And it's really not. But the first time around, you have to figure that out. So you might have been caught, not off guard, but you just forget those little things. I know there are people talking about, I got to find my mitts and the toques for the kids and boots and coats and all that kind of stuff that, you know, um, last night I pulled the coats out for the kids and one of mine goes, mine's dusty. And I was like, well, we can wash it because it was downstairs in the storage room. And then he informs me, no, dusty means like not cool, mom. What? <laughs> and I was like, is this for real? Is it actual Dusty? Or does Dusty just mean not cool? And then I was like, I don't even want to know. I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm out with this explanation. You're gonna wear what you have, you know? <laughs> Times there's no there's no budget right now for a new coat. So yeah, that was my twenty four hours. But you you know, as as I was scrolling through social media last night, you know, as we go we all do on the show before we go to bed to make sure we're not missing anything. There was the talk of the snow, which can at least get people excited. Like lots of I had a snowball chucked at me hard by the neighbor last night as oh, I yeah? ran to the store. He was so pumped to be out there. <laughs> so you have all like that those good feelings. And then of course as we were scrolling through social media last night, we were all sharing bread about this mass shooting in the States and another one, which I just even hate throwing another out there. Yeah. And I I, I sort of feel bad because my reaction to that was a uh, shooting, a mass shooting in the U.S. What a what a surprise! And that wasn't meant to be a flippant reaction. It's just it, it, it just sort of threw, like a, I just kind of threw my arms in the air and saying like, what else can I say? It's just it, it, I, I, it makes me sad that this was. It's yet another example of you know we've got uh, sixteen at least sixteen dead, dozens wounded, and uh, it's just disgusting. We're going to share some more audio just after the news at 6.30 from a young girl who was part of that mass shooting, bowling with her mom. There was two locations, a bowling alley and a restaurant in Lewiston, Maine. Bowling with her mom and a bullet grazed her leg. And and she talks about, you know, you're you're a kid. Kids shouldn't be worried about that kind of thing. But Mm. the stark realities that some might be, or she will definitely be going forward. So we'll, we'll, we'll hear from young Zoe just after 6.30. But I was also looking at numbers, Brett. And overall, like if you look at all the things that are harming people in, in the States, technically shootings are on the low end of it, but they're on the rise. Mass shootings are on the rise. And so I don't know how many more conversations will come and go in the next 24 hours regarding gun crimes and gun legislation in the States, Greg, but we'll cer- certainly hear about it. I know 
and then we'll move on and we'll be talking again about this, I'm sure, in, the, in a few months' time with another, and again, I hate using that word, but here's another mass shooting. Yep. Unfortunately, all too often we think, oh, this is going to be the event that opens the discussion towards uh, some different action in terms of gun control or mental health. Unfortunately, there are two sides on this in America. The Second Amendment and your right to bear arms, etc., gets in the way of a lot of reasonable conversations in terms of what Americans want overall. And a vast majority of Americans would like to see, they don't want to see restrictions. They don't want to see anybody's guns taken away. They want to see reasonable background checks. They want to see a reasonable process in order to acquire these weapons. Nobody's talking about taking all these guns away. It's a completely different conversation in Canada versus it is in the United States. But just when we think we're going to see an event that, that changes the narrative, as you say, Brett, unfortunately, this one will fade in the background and then uh, the next one will inevitably take place. So we'll have more on this at 6.35 and then as well as at 8.05, we'll be joined by Global's Reggie Cicchini with the latest on that as they continue to search for this suspect. Also today at 7.05, we're going to kick off a discussion about retirement and can you afford it? And I think that's a question. I, I don't know what age you start asking that question, but at any point in life for me, there was a job that I perhaps didn't love, you know, when you're doing different menial jobs for university or saving for whatnot. And you think, oh, I wonder if I'll be able to retire at 50 or 55 or 75 or depending on where you're at. And, it, you know, how do you plan for that in this sort of like tumultuous times? But also, what's your expectation of your employer to help you plan with for that? So we have a survey out that talks about Canadians wanting their employer to not just help them with pensions, but maybe have someone that can sit down with you once a year and say, have you looked at your latest statement? Because I'll tell you when my come, I just sort of laugh and then shove them in the drawer. I'm assuming they're wrong, even though I know they're right. You know, with the retirement date on there, yep. it has the date, but the amount is concerning. <laughs> you want it to be wrong. I want it to be wrong. It's most likely correct. I've actually emailed uh, the pension people one time to just be like, sorry, I just feel like this number can't be, <laughs> this number seems off. This is what I'm going to have monthly when I retire. Yeah. Hmm. And how old am I going to be mm-hmm, exactly? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> going to have to make some. Mm-hmm. All right, then. <laughs> so we'll get into those survey results and, and how we can maybe do better by ourselves uh, just after seven. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We are going to talk more about retirement. Do you have a clue when you could afford to retire at 7.05? And then at 7.35, it is our small town salute. But right now we have to talk about how a manhunt is underway in Lewiston, Maine. After a mass shooting at a bowling alley and a restaurant left at least 16 people dead and dozens more injured. A police intelligence bulletin has identified the person of interest as a man who trained as a firearms instructor at a U.S. Army Reserve training facility in Maine. Lewiston resident uh, Brandon was at the bowling alley when the shooter entered. We're inside and snowing like a bowling and out of nowhere he just came in and there was a loud pop. I thought it was a balloon. I had my back turned to the door. Um, and as soon as I turned and saw that it was not a balloon, he was holding a weapon. I just booked it um, down the lane and I slid 
basically into where the pins are and climbed up in the machine and was on top of the machines for about 10 minutes until the cops got there. Brandon made it out without injury. This next voice is of a young girl named Zoe Levesque. It's not clear from reports how old Zoe is, but we do know she was bowling with her mom when shots suddenly rang out. A bullet grazed her leg. I didn't know until I saw the bleeding, and then after that, of course, I noticed it, and I felt a little bit of the pain, but, like, I wasn't worried about that. I was more worried about, like, am I going to live? Am I going to make it out of here? Like, what's going to happen? Are the cops going to come? I just never thought someone would walk in and then just start shooting and taking people's lives away. People have families, and they... They're they're young people who still have long lives ahead of them, and people shouldn't be coming in and doing that. That's not okay. I never thought I'd grow up and get a bullet in my leg, and it's just like, like, why? Like, why do people do this? That's a question many people will be asking. And again, we don't know Zoe's age, but that's the voice of a kid as far as I'm concerned. And kids we know are among the victims. And there she is stating the very adult question, why is this happening and what's wrong with people? And so as we look for more information about the shooter and then that manhunt, as you mentioned, Brett, is underway. We know there was an order for residents last night in Lewiston, Maine to stay inside and off the streets. Lewiston is Maine's second largest city, and I was just trying to figure out where it was in Maine. It's in the southwest corner, and even when you put that in the mapping system in Google Maps, it then puts the alerts to where the shooting ha- shootings happened, which just tells you sort of the world we're living in, that those need to go up immediately and quickly. So again, this was a shooting at a bowling alley and restaurant. Uh, we talk about this far too many times a year, but mass shootings, you know, Someone will come out and say, statistically speaking, your odds of being hurt in a mass shooting is still low. But they're on the rise in the states. So gunviolencearchive.org, that's a website that tracks gun violence. 565 people have been injured in a mass shooting so far this year, injured or killed. There were 594 in all of last year, 336 five years ago. And so the data that they have going back 10 years, it's trending up year over year. And again, that's numbers for mass shootings, which they qualify as four or more people killed or injured in a single event. If you just look at homicides overall in the States, 80% of homicides in the States are by gun. That's double Canada's, where 40% of homicides are by gun, according to Statistics Canada. That number for Canada is from 2021 and is actually larger than I thought it would be. But the fact remains that we know guns are super prevalent in the States, Greg. Yeah, and a majority of Americans, based on several studies I looked at in the last hour or so, a majority of Americans believe they're safer having and owning a gun, having a gun available for their own personal protection and NPR PBS NewsHour Marist National Survey from May found that 40% of respondents felt that schools in their community were unsafe with regard to the risk of gun violence that's up from 30% in 2019 so once again Brett uh, another morning where we're you know we actually went to bed last night talking about this we woke up with uh, just a horrendous number of innocent people, their lives lost, gunned down, um, just living their lives, bowling or at a restaurant, and someone uh, decided to to go out and and indiscriminately kill people who, uh, as far as we can tell, this individual had no idea who they were. And listening to that audio um, from Brandon, for example, really kind of... 
really brings it to to life, so to speak, when you hear about a guy who his you know has to run down a, a bowling lane and slide under the contraption that drops the pins and then climb up in there. Uh, that just kind of brings it to like a really horrifying. It paints a really horrifying picture that that's your escape route is to go hide underneath the bowling pins. Like that's not to make light of it, but that's that I've always, that's sort of a a mystery area of the bowling alley that one would never see. But when that's your escape route to avoid, avoid being shot, Mm. uh, it be, it takes it from a headline where 16 dead. You're like, ah, great. Another shooting in the States, but it helps you sort of imagine the terror that everyone in that room must have felt in that moment. Lewiston, Maine has a population of around 40,000, 37,000, I think is the number that I've heard referenced most often. And so when we talk about the bus crash tragedy that impacted the city of Dauphin with a population of around 10,000 people, the conversations already this morning, the population of this uh, community, everybody's going to know somebody that was either killed or shot or know somebody that knows somebody that was killed or shot. And so the, the emotional, the psychological impact of these events uh, are everlasting on the communities that they're perpetrated in. And even for those, we're a country away, mm-hmm. but I go to the United States a lot. And do you not think about that yes. prop yes. possibility? Yes. However, slight it might be yes once you cross that border i think you do i think a lot of people do yeah your your head i won't say it's on a swivel necessarily and people will say well what about downtown winnipeg my head's in a swivel on a swivel when i'm in downtown winnipeg except for when i'm in a car in the states i do think about the possibility that you know when you someone shakes their fist at you or gives you the finger that they might have a gun in that car so we'll have more on this shooting in maine coming up after eight with global's reggie Cicchini. and of course if we hear more about that shooter or whether he's caught we'll bring that to you as well Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to talk about awkward sleeping arrangements. Greg, you unearthed this yesterday. What is happening in the T-dot? Okay, so we don't know how often this is happening, but at least one listing, and this is the headline from the Toronto Sun, quote, unquote, Toronto is unhinged. Shared bed is latest questionable rental. Basically, it's it's an advertisement for... Not an apartment, not a room, not a closet in an apartment, but the ad is for $900 a month to share my queen size bed. Now, it does have a lake view. For how it's much? a condo with a lake view. $900, $900 a month. Like, not like per person, not that's what you share. Oh, no, like, no, it's no, not no, 450 no, 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 no,
12 reasons why you wouldn't want to share a bed with a stranger. And it's a queen size bed. It's not even a king. It's not big <laughs> enough. You can't even build a little wall. So at 204 780 a chance to win tickets either for Beyond Monet, which is coming to the RBC Convention Center in December, or uh, Chelsea Handler coming to Burton Cummings Theater Friday, February 9th. Tell us about your awkward sleeping arrangements. So let's go around the horn here. Uh, Forte, why don't we start with you? Well, for me, uh, it's you go to a party, right? Mm-hmm. You go to a party, you're having some fun, and you got to crash, you know? It just it happens. Uh, like, I know I was staying the night there, but uh, the party's still going. It's like 3.30 in the morning. So what I do is I take three like of these office chairs my buddy had in his basement, and it's really, really dirty floor. I'm not sleeping on the floor. I'm not sleeping on his dirty couch where a bunch of people are. So I took three of these office chairs, put them together, and I just crashed in there. <laughs> that easy. Like, like, what do you mean? Where, where were all the, just in the body basement. parts? No, but you had three chairs. Like, why three, three chairs? Well, one for my upper body. Uh-huh. One for my middle body and then my legs. <laughs> oh, my body. middle body. My middle. The middle body. <laughs> the middle body. The question was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Did these chairs not have arms? The middle one didn't. Uh, oh, okay, wow. Okay. The other two did. So the middle one didn't have arms, but the other two, I was able to fit my little... And remember, like, this is when I was like 18, 19. I would never do it now because like, I, I need to get into my own bed at night. Uh, Still, the fact that you tetris a bed <laughs> together out of office chairs, it's pretty ingenious. That's yeah, pretty good. And yeah, when you're 18, you'll sleep wherever. I slept in a bathtub in my buddy's cabin. I slept on an inflatable raft. Like, I'll sleep on the floor, <laughs> whatever. When you're a teenager, you're just happy to be at the cabin and like, yeah, let's get drunk. And then you wake up sore and like, why did I sleep there? I'm dumb. Poetress, what about you? Uh, well, my, mine was in Toronto, too. I couldn't stay at my brother's place. It was uh, my my three, well, I have two brothers, and uh, both of us were visiting my brother when he was in, he was living in Etobicoke, and we couldn't stay there uh, that one night, and it just, this whole thing happened. I'm not going to get into it, but um, we couldn't stay there. So we were looking, we were wandering around trying to find a place where we could sleep, and we're, I'm on my phone, like, where's a hotel? And then I, I looked at the hotel, and the, 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 the cost a night would have been, like, more than the flight itself that I got there. So we slept under a tree. Oh my God. <laughs> we found a tree in a, uh, in like a, in like a, what looked like a business park, and we, we went into, it was like, uh, there was a bush that kind of provided some, some privacy and just <laughs> slept under the tree. No blankets, not, I used my, my backpack as a pillow and out we went. I, don't, I didn't have a good sleep. I, I think I passed out for only a couple hours, but That's pretty good. slept under the tree. <laughs> Sarah, what about you? Oh my gosh, I cannot top the tree. But uh, any family vacation is ruined by the snoring father. Any family vacation. And uh, thought we had it figured out. This was in like a room where it had like separate kind of like kid quarters. I was probably like 10 at the time, but nope. Still here. I'm my sister's on the lower bunk. I'm on the higher bunk, and we're like, "Are you awake? Yeah. Are you? Yeah, I'm awake. Yeah. We just start crying. Like you just cry because you can't sleep, and like you, you hear, yeah, you just start crying. It's just true. You just, you're done. You're like, I'm awake anyway. I'm like, are you awake? Yeah, I am. I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm so mad at dad. Right you just now. hear a lawnmower in the other room, and then my mom going, because <laughs> she can't stand it either. Roll so over. It's just I'm the sure worst. your dad snoring isn't that bad. It's really that bad. Yeah, I'm sure it's not. No. I'm standing up for your dad. <laughs> what is it like a chainsaw yeah. cutting through a rusty? 
rusty yep. tin shed. Yes, and then the next day is the worst. You're going to breakfast and you're all like glaring Dads at each other. And- <laughs> uh, Loren, what about you? Oh, you know, like there's so many spaces where you just, when you get that teary thing where you're, it's your dad snoring. It could be your husband. It could be you. You wake yourself up. But because of work, when I used to work for Global National, you get sent places where like there's not always a place to sleep, right? Like the hotel might not be open because it's an earthquake zone or what have you. So you're sleeping uh, in the van that you've rented, sleeping on the floor of a community center. Um, but the, the, the most, it was like an awkward choice or a bad decision or trying to figure out what to do when we were in Haiti after the earthquake there. And we're on the balcony of a hotel because we, nobody wanted to sleep inside because you were worried about the building coming down. So we then had a tent that we put on the balcony, but it was so hot that in the tent you were trying to figure out, like, I can't. And so you get up, you're like, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> and you get up, and then you get outside, and then you, I saw a rat run by, and then you're, like, making the choice. Am I going <laughs> to lay, lay down here with the rat, or am I just going to be hot and sweaty and cry? And so I did start tearing I'm up just again. Crying. Is nobody seeing this? <laughs> Like, and then you gotta put your life in perspective. People's lives have been ruined, and sure. it's horrible. But in that moment when you can't sleep, you just you just it's the you, worst feeling. You, it's the worst feeling. Sleeping with the rats is better than sleeping with the fishes. Okay, <laughs> I went back in the tent. For the record, I went back in the tent and zipped it up, and then waited for that rat to chew through that material. <laughs> oh, the thought of a rat. Oh my mm-hmm. god. And Mackling. Oh, gosh, too many to choose from. I guess uh, I'll piggyback off Sarah's for no, no, I'll go with my original Um, going to Mexico for a week on a trip that you booked three months prior. And uh, then in between booking the trip and going on the trip, breaking up with the person that you were supposed to go on the trip with and you end up going on the trip with the person because you're going with another couple. And you have to share a hotel room with said person for mm. an entire week. And oh, not good. just the hotel room, but the, the bed. The There's bed not a double bed. Also. You couldn't go in and get like a king size bed. When, uh, when it was booked, you know, things were pretty romantic. By the time we got to Mexico, <laughs> things were very not romantic. <laughs> All right. Did you roll over and be like, I hate you so much right now? <laughs> no? Hmm. Too much tequila. We want to hear about your awkward sleeping arrangements that you've had to endure for a chance to win tickets either for Beyond Monet or Claudia, or I keep saying Claudia Schiffer. That's a supermodel, right? It's Chelsea Handler, the comedian. Not (laughs) even close. I know. I I said it earlier. Also, Uh, it's such a like a 90s reference. I know. Right here, Claudia. Stupid. Chelsea Handler at Burton Cummings Theater, Friday, February 9th. The winner is going to get to choose. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb small town salute coming up at 735. We will visit a popular Halloween haunt. Before we talk retirement, what is the most awkward sleeping arrangement you've had to endure? What does this listener say about camping? Well, Sarah was talking about the, her dad snoring and reducing them to tears. This listener says, we were camping in a camper with my parents, a hus- husband, and daughter. In the morning, we couldn't find my husband. Looked outside. He was sleeping in the car, driver's seat for some reason. Like, why not the back seat? LOL. Because my mom snored so bad. <laughs> <laughs> had, to, had to get out, had to get out of the camper. And I threw that in because dads always get the bad rap for snoring. That's nice which to is balance fair. out the reporting. <laughs> it, but, is, it is fair. But I, I, I know I snore too, so. 
204-780-6868. Your awkward sleeping arrangements for a chance to win tickets either for Beyond Monet or Chelsea Handler. We'll pick a winner at 915. Freedom 55, retirement at 60, 65. Many of you might have a number in mind when it comes to plans to leave the workforce. But do you have any idea if you can afford to retire when that date comes up? Do you have a number, Brett? No. Shaking your head? I don't know. Greg? Yesterday. (laughs) It just didn't work out. Okay. Well, according to the latest scores that are put out by TELUS Health every month on our mental health, our well-being, 70% of Canadians surveyed don't know or are unsure just how much money they will need to maintain their lifestyle once they stop working. So that means that date might be in flux for them. And 30% of those surveyed want their benefit plans to include financial planning solutions. Paula Allen is Global Leader, Business and Client Insights at TELUS Health and joins us again this morning. Good morning, Paula. Good morning. So I think if, if you would do and are fortunate enough to have a pension plan through your work. I get these statements every once in a while that show me that possible retirement date and what that amount might be when I retire. But when employees say they want more and they want planning, what what do they mean by that? Yeah, I, you know, when you think about finances, it's, it's really quite varied. Uh, we know from our mental health index over the, the last several years that Emergency savings, just the ability to save is, is a big issue. And it's becoming even a more, more of an issue. We have inflation. We have higher prices and the things that are most important to us. We have 40, over 40% of us are concerned about the ability to buy a home. And as you said, many of us really have no idea whether the money that we thought that we would have, even if we thought we were on a great path a little while ago, with the change in cost of living, we're not sure if that's going to sustain us through retirement. So there's a lot of volatility and people are needing support in order to navigate through it. So Paula, what role do you think or does the survey show this uncertainty about how much money individuals are going to need? I know when I hear some of these stories and surveys and news releases from from different financial institutions saying that I'm going to need 400, 600, 800,000, the number, quite frankly, I, I don't even pay attention to it because there's absolutely no way I'm ever going to have that amount of money in my RRSP. So... Do you think that that the amount of money that's thrown around in terms of what you're going to need to retire just seems too much and so people aren't starting or they're intimidated? What do you know? Well, I think there's a matter of trust as well. Like when you don't have personal information, the information that you get from others, if it sometimes varies, it makes you feel very nervous. And different models come up with slightly different things. You know, we might have one model saying, well, this is the minimum that somebody might need uh, if you look at the average salary. And then somebody else might be uh, might be giving numbers that relate to a different standard of living. So it seems confusing. What is definitely clear, though, is that the more knowledge you have, the better comfort you have in absorbing information, knowing what to do, and your financial anxiety is reduced. So it, it, it relates to the amount of money that you have and your actions, but also your knowledge. One of the things, though, that we have found is that, unfortunately, Many people are afraid of reaching out and just gathering that knowledge. It's good news that we see so many wanting financial consultation and experts just coming into their lives to help them shape their plans uh, because that is really an important first step because people aren't seeking the knowledge on their own. 
Now, your survey showed a large group of Canadians wish their benefit plan included coverage for their parents. How common is that? Well, we, we looked at the idea of parents uh, in a number of different ways. So 25% of us actually uh, expect to support someone else in the future. So 14% for uh, parents, 9% for children, and 20% are actually supporting someone now. So, you know, we have a path that has been put in front of us that's really not as realistic as what we would think. Number one, people are thinking at some point they're going to buy a house. Number two, they're thinking at some point they're going to retire comfortably between 55 and 65. Number three, they're thinking that their parents have saved enough or have enough uh, financial stability to be able to, to manage on their own, and their adult children will as well. And all of those assumptions are being challenged right now. So this is quite difficult for people because it's hard to adjust your assumptions, but that's exactly what many people are having to do. When we talk about the idea of having benefits that would include the parents, like we're talking about, I would have a package where my kids are covered dentally and, and so are my parents. What, what would, does that exist in workplaces? It doesn't exist at this point, but there's been so much discussion about it. I'm wondering whether that will change in the future. I mean, we have evolutions in terms of our benefit plans. Many benefit plans have optional uh, coverage for pets, and that didn't happen, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I think, you know, what, what benefit providers always try to do is to see what's relevant for the population right now. And again, many people retiring and, and your parents not having retiree benefit coverage, not being financially as secure as you would like, you know, that cost falls on the working child. So having any support for that is really high value. Paula Allen, Global Leader, Business and Client Insights at TELUS Health. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb for a chance to win tickets for either Beyond Monet or Chelsea Handler. This morning we're asking you about awkward sleeping arrangements. And what does Gary, a.k.a. Sleepy Beefaroni, have to say? Well, no wonder he's sleepy. He's probably still trying to make up for this journey. Uh, in the 80s, I worked as a gang cook for CN Rail. I needed a ride back to Winnipeg from Sioux Lookout and was offered a swivel chair in one of the diesel power units. Couldn't lean back. Just put my feet up for 12 hours back home. No pillow, no blanket, no earplugs. And it was loud. Oh, yeah, it was vibrating as well. Great. That sounds wonderful. No, nothing wrong with that. And this listener, this is an interesting story from 1998. Three buddies and I were backpacking in Europe. We were in Monaco and staying at a hostel that was a mansion formerly owned by actor and singer Bridget Bardot. Mm. It was on the coast in the middle of a residential area. They had separate sleeping areas for men and women and lights out was 10 p.m. We had met three Canadian girls and were hitting it off well. My friend tried to sneak into the girls area after 10 p.m., and got caught. They kicked us all out at midnight, so we followed the rocky coastline until we found some semblance of a beach. We woke up freezing and covered in <laughs> biting ants. I wonder if they still do that, the hostels in like, separate genders. I, I've been in one, I don't know, it was 2006 maybe, in England, and it was girls, boys divided. 
And I remember going into the room, there was like eight bunk beds because you're doing it on the cheap. And there was just some dude sleeping in my sister's bed that we had to kick out. Oh, yeah. But then you just had to climb in that bed after and like, there's no other sheets. You're just like, what is this? And I've also been in them where people have come in and you're like, you're not, this is not your room. Get out of here. That was, you know, the moment where you're like, I can afford to do better than this. <laughs> Why am I doing hostels at 30? <laughs> Small town salute, it is the final weekend to get your haunt on, as we are just five sleeps from All Hallows' Eve. We have discussed the increased popularity of Halloween over the past week or so. Is that translating into more visitors at attractions which celebrate the spookiness of it all? Well, let's find out as we take a quick trip south of the city to visit with our friend Clint Moss at Amaze in Corn. Clint, good morning, friend. Hey, good morning. How's it going up north? <laughs> well, we are <laughs> we're celebrating the arrival of of winter uh, up way up north here, Clint. Uh, for those of you, or for those of us, and for our listeners, just can you just remind us for those who need it exactly where you are? Yeah, we are just ten minutes south of Winnipeg, and we're right on St. Mary's Road. If you get to the town of Saint Adolf, then you've just gone one mile too far. That's you know those are we get good instructions and good directions in this segment. Those those are pretty pretty awesome, Clint. So since the end of September, you've been inviting folks to visit the haunted forest and hearing those invitations on our air. What what can you share without giving away any shocks or surprises? Well, you know we we're all amazed. Like every year, we we create this forest, and uh, Glenn, who's uh, works with us, he's kind of our artistic director. And like, people go in and it's like 25 or 35 minutes before they come out the other end. So um, one thing we've done is it just seems to be get incrementally longer when you come up with some more ideas for a little segment of, of scare. And, and we, we use kind of different, different tactics to scare people throughout that whole line. And that's what kind of makes it fun and, and creative. Like you're, you're putting up a scene with some serious artistic foresty Halloween mix. And then in that scene, you incorporate some distraction and then you incorporate the, uh, the scare. And we always say, you know, you, you fake them with the left and you hit them with the right. <laughs> I took the kids to the haunted forest last year Clint, uh, it was a blast, but there were a few times that I wondered, I wonder if the participants, like not the people going into the maze, but your actors, so to speak, do they ever get hit? Because my instinct a few times might be to lash (laughs) out, you know, like I have to bite my tongue to not swear, but then it's like, don't punch this person. They're not a real ghost. Well, well, we've had the first ever. um, And uh, so it doesn't happen often, but, but we also, we go through with our creatures. We, we have a creature meet mm-hmm. and we say, you know, make sure that you guys keep appropriate distance and be on the defensive because sometimes exactly what you said, Lauren, like people reach out and we had someone reach out um, and got one of our, our scare actors, but then he came up here and I said, Oh, are you okay? Like, how does it feel? Well, I was Okay. But then he also hit his girlfriend. Oh, just out of like in, in the fight. Yeah, in the fight. Like, so, so he, so he, so he reached out for, for the creature and God tagged him. And then he, then he proceeded to, uh, to, 
to attack his uh, his girlfriend. Not attack, but like she was also caught in the crossfire in the melee because he was that scared. So, um, you know, that's that's our nighttime style. Like we're, we're getting more scary in the night. And during the daytime, we cater a little more to uh, young, young individuals. So Clint, I've been to the maze three times over the years, all three times in mid to late October. And, uh, and by the way, I've never, I've never successfully entered the haunted forest. I always get there too late and it's sold out and there's a huge lineup. So uh, that's a lesson learned. If you want to get in the haunted forest, get there early. But for those who have only been to the maze in October, do you ever lament that? Like, well, you should come a little bit earlier in the year when the corn's still alive and everything's green. Yeah, absolutely. Like we get, I mean, hey, uh, by the end of October, the corn has taken on the weather for sure. Like this type of weather doesn't do any great things for corn. And um, and yeah, the big green walls that exist in, in August and September before the corn dries down. It's a very different maze experience. This is kind of more the Halloween kind of maze experience where we got, you know, a monster shed full of pumpkins and we've got more Halloween stuff going on. So the maze is the maze is great for sure. But yeah, I mean, there's been a few more cheater paths gone through than there is in August. That's for sure. So Clint, a uh, bit of a roller coaster weather-wise for October, but essentially some spectacular weather all fall. How have the crowds been? You know, the crowds have been off the charts. Awesome. We've had, uh, and we always say this: it's it's more stable. Like our, our sales are more stable than you think. There's always a two off the chart weekends that are awesome. There's always one that's a blowout. And then there's one that we just kind of like, it's a get on base deal where, you know, um, and in this, I mean, I'm not the only haunt, you know, right. What these haunts need is they need a monster influx. Hey, there's a pun, a monster influx of people (laughs) to just cover off the off seasons because you know, there's a, there's a month of cleanup. There's probably two months of prep to get people in here for that haunt. And, uh, yeah, you need those big days for sure. And we've had them. That's good to hear because I know there have been some falls where it's been it's been lousy. And so it's good to know that that's the case. And now as you look at the snow that I know is on the ground in St. Adolph, I know you're not done with the Halloween haunts and the maze yet, but when does construction start on the world's largest snow maze? Because it's not just the maze anymore. Last year, you guys added the restaurant. That was a sellout. What, what's coming up and when does that work begin? Well, we are like, funny you said that last night, I was looking at the temperatures and I'm going, huh, when does it begin? Because that's the other way. Like I know people are going, okay, it's freezing temperatures. That's bad. And certainly it's not ideal for a, for a haunt, but I'm looking forward and going, okay, if we're freezing down sooner, you know, then we can start up sooner. Basically, I'm looking for at least a week of daytime highs below minus 10. And then in the night, you get you know, the minus 17s or whatever, so that we can start up the snow guns. And then once we can start them up, then we're probably 10 days of snow making. And then we start making that those snow walls. So I'm guessing December 15th is when we're going to actually start making snow maze and and the restaurant is right on the heels of making the snow maze. Hey, Clinton, the maze, is it still like a scavenger hunt kind of thing? Because I, I remember in years past, there have been, you had to go through the maze and find different points. And it was, the, the theme was different every year. Yeah, this year we went, um, so, and I could get the details wrong, but 
the Guinness World Book of Records largest monosaur is a dinosaur. And it was another one was found around Miami, between Miami and Morden. So we went with a dinosaur theme this year, which appeals to the kids. The kids know every single one. And it's the poor adults that have to go to their phones to figure out, okay, I come across <laughs> this. If it's not a T-Rex, we don't know what it is. And so, but the kids are just like, dude, oh yeah, that's Ankylosaurus or Monosaur. They're just awesome. So that's what, that's what we did this year. Just kind of, you know, just keep it local, right? Kind of elevate Manitoba stuff. And, and we thought dinosaurs were cool for this year. I enjoyed that snow bar last year. That's coming back. It is coming back. All and right. we're doing a ton with that this year. Ton. We're going to, we're going to elevate the snow maze and the restaurant with far more artwork. It's going, we're, we're intending it to be quite a bit better than last year. All right, Clint. Well, hey, it's a, it's a blast out there. Every time I've been out there, I just it's a magical, magical place. You do such a great job. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it being on. Thanks, folks. All right. I, I will point out, though, I've never successfully completed the, uh, like, ticked off. Like, I've never hit every point in the scavenger hunt in the oh, maze. Driving you're not alone dr- in drove that. me bonkers. Like, I went with a group once, and most of the, after we were done, Five, five or six of them went to sit down, and a buddy, one guy, other guy, and me went back in. We're like, we gotta finish this, <laughs> and need, we couldn't. You yeah. need at least one person like you in the group to drive determined it to drive it. Because yeah, it's 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 almost too much fun out there. It's easy to go. I got a great day. I don't need to finish. Yes, wait out. But you can cut like the corn. You're not supposed to cut through, but there's these different in in and out points. You should go for the snow maze because it's, it's so much. It feels so much harder because it's just a straight wall. Okay. You can't see. And like five different times, like boost me up. I'm looking over this wall. Like I need to see. You need a selfie stick. Like I need so to look over. Some... Somebody climb on the wall and tell me how the heck to get out of here. Like... So you can do some surveillance. Yes. <laughs> like a periscope. Like a periscope. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so again, that is a maze in corn and soon to be the world's largest snow maze. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Last chance to get in on the Beyond Monet or Chelsea Handler tickets. We're asking you to tell us about an awkward sleeping arrangement. But right now we are in the process of crafting our new question of the day. And Greg, it's going to have to do with rating this year's construction season in Winnipeg. Am I seeing that somewhere? Well, the- no, no, I'm in the process of crafting it. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. And look, uh, we're going to have a conversation right now about that because I know it's a huge frustration for a lot of folks right now, including myself who see the end of what should be the construction season. Brett, you said it yourself. You're sort of looking forward to snow (laughs) because that marks the transition, right? Oh, well, we finally get to reap the benefit of these projects coming to an end. Well, Michelle Stanton is a project manager, management engineer for the city of Winnipeg, joins us now and can hopefully answer some of our questions. Michelle, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Well, so um, when is the usual end of the construction season in Winnipeg? You know, the old joke, two seasons in Winnipeg winter (laughs) and construction. When does construction season supposedly end, if it ever does? It seems that uh, every year they sort of overlap a little bit, but um, 
uh, generally this time of year is what we uh, what we plan as the end of an end of the construction season because it's um, we can see asphalt placement into mid November typically in a typical year, and that's uh, we've still got some wrap up to do next week that involve um, some some other rather major paving operations. So uh, we're still going strong. So is it the snow or the cold that puts an end to things? What will today's weather, for example, do to some projects? Uh, today's weather is uh, makes sites wet because the ground is still very warm. So uh, that, that works in our favour. Um, obviously, a, a, a huge blizzard, giant dump of snow would be very problematic. Um, but uh, with this kind of snow, we can, um, you know, we're, st- we're still working because the ground is still warm and we can clear it easily and, uh, and, and keep uh, working towards completion. Are there any delays that are going to push some projects into next year? Uh, we have a lot of, uh, not a lot, of, like we have several that were planned to be carried over and some that are running up against, uh, running up against the weather that we'll have to put some temporary uh, measures in place uh, to make sure they're passable for, for the winter. So are there some projects that plain and simply are a priority, Michelle? I, you know, I think the last time you were on with us, I asked you about Goulet, and uh, I'll apologize again for bringing that project up specifically. But just the idea that some of these projects plain and simply have to get done. So could we see hoarding put in place in order to pour concrete when it's cold or all these different different uh, technologies and, and extra special accommodations made in order to get it done? Uh, well, regional streets, the main arterials are our biggest priority, um, and I, we will do what we can to get them completed, but there are some, uh, like in, in the case where we can't, I mean, Goulet is one example where there will have to be some temporary measures uh, put in place, depending on how the weather goes in the next 10 days. Meaning that we could see it, you know, I think right now I have one lane at some points, and then it opens up to two, and then eventually three. Does that mean we'll see... Lane closures the lanes through the open. winter. The lanes will be open, but it would—they're not going to be a perfectly smooth ride. They'll—they'll have uh, the, the temporary asphalt measures would be a little rougher than what what our planned construction is. So, what's the uh, or is there a hit mark? And by that I mean, do you have a uh, hope that by you know this point in the year, eighty percent projects done, ninety percent, ninety-five? Like, what's the what's the going in best case scenario? Um. Well, as of last week, we had about seventy percent completely complete and uh, we're, ex- we're expecting another 20 percent um to be completed before winter and with an, you know another 10 percent like i said planned so we had planned to carry them over 90 percent done then within the next couple weeks okay yeah when do we, and we have some carryover every year just you know due to planning and, and uh staging and stuff so and we've had some people suggest that maybe the city bit off more than it could chew this year is, is, is what can you assess that uh, it was very busy, uh, for sure. Um, there was an, a whole number of factors playing into that, though, and and the fact they were at ninety percent and not you know ninety five like we would prefer to be. Were there a lot of projects left over from last year, Michelle? Can you give us an idea as to maybe what put you behind the eight ball? That was a uh, we started with that too. Yes, we had a, a, a few more carryovers last year than than we normally had in the previous. So we've increased funding and are trying to, you know, push things along and get as much done as we can. But we fill it up as much as we can do and, and the plan for the rest.
All right, Michelle Stainton, Project Manager, Management Engineer for the City of Winnipeg. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And our question of the day, now published at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. How would you rate this year's construction season in Winnipeg? Your options are good. I'm happy to see so many roads being fixed. So, so glad to see the work being done, but it's too much or horrible. It's been such a pain to get around. And uh, I almost hate to say it because it's one of those things where it's like, please fix our roads. And then they start to fix the roads and it's like, God, there's too much construction. But this year, uh, for me personally, it has no, been the worst. It's all three of us. Sorry to interrupt. Brett, but it's just, I think every day we each have our routes that are ticking us off. And I had joked if you put a drone above St. Boniface, which I come through with Goulet, it's like, uh, amazing corn of trying to avoid avoid all the constructions or amazing cone, if you will. Yeah. And uh, it drives you nuts <laughs> because that's your neighborhood. So it just depends on where you're going. It's an amazing cone. I can't get out of this construction. Save me. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This morning we're asking you about awkward sleeping arrangements inspired by this apartment rental ad in Toronto where someone's saying, hey, yeah, you can come be my roommate for 900 bucks. You just got to share the my queen-size bed with me. It's got a nice view, lakefront view. So one of our runners up here, Henry Pauls, who says, I lived in a small town in Montana quite a few years back. The Happening Bar was in a different town, so me and my buddy would drive there on the weekends, and instead of driving back, we would just sleep in the back of the van that had lots of windows and then drive back the next day. Well, one time we woke up late in the morning looking pretty rough and in need to relieve ourselves. We were shocked as there were people all around us looking at us like we were a freak show at a circus. We had parked in front of a church, and it was the end of the service. Our embarrassment soon turned to laughter, though, for the rest of the day. Oh, my. That's <laughs> I like it. Uh, then our next story uh, comes from Steph. What does Steph have to say? In my 20s, I was notorious for my mid-party power naps. I, I put my hand up for that. Yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. At my friend's apartment, I curled up under a pile of winter coats in the spare room. I guess under all those coats, I resembled a couch. As some party goers decided to sit on me, I quietly piped up, I'm not a couch. I'm a people. <laughs> we still laugh about it. I'm not a couch. I'm a people. I'm Way a to go, people. Steph. I'm so envious of people who can sleep like that. Like, just lay down, close your eyes. I'm just going to take 10. Yeah. Uh-huh. Taking 10 takes me, like, three hours. You got to be tired, like, super tired to, to be able to do that. The, but good for Steph for the nap and rally. But Loren, Mary is our winner today. Okay. Mary says, seven of us were camping, tenting at Clear Lake. We heard someone say, bear, at 3 a.m. So we all piled into the Civic because it was the only set of keys we could find and then drove around the park looking for a park ranger who then told us, yeah, it's not a bear, but a drunk guy calling out for his girlfriend, Claire. <laughs> We all went back to our tents. Claire! Claire! You can see it. I can see it. Yeah, through the tent and maybe, you know, other things that might have happened earlier in the evening. That Claire could easily sound like bear. It sees a lot of bears. The, the people who tent there, kudos to you. And seven people in a city. That's, that's a lot. That's like a clown car. 
at that point uh, because when I had a Civic, I had a, I had the sedan, and even getting three people in the back seat of that was a challenge. So five was a lot. Yeah, five is a lot. Never mind seven. Eight is enough. Mary, congratulations. <laughs> you choose Beyond Monet or Chelsea Handler, and then Steph, as a runner-up, will get the other prize. The question, this is the kind of question that honestly makes me bury my head in the sand <laughs> like an ostrich. Do you have a hot clue how much you need to retire? So we're talking about this this morning because we reviewed some of the latest scores put out by Telus Health. Every month they put out a mental health index and it checks on everything from, you know, maybe how we're feeling with anxiety to loneliness to our financial health. And it found in this latest survey that 70% of Canadians either don't know or are unsure just how much money they'll need to maintain their lifestyle once they stop working. And then another 30% want their benefit plans to include financial planning solutions, basically because they need more help. And Greg, we can get why you're they're asking. I think I'll be the first to say, no matter how hard I try, I feel like my financial knowledge is still poor. And then you asked that question at 707. We spoke to tell us about that magic number because, you know, you've seen all sorts of different figures, right? A million dollars, $400,000, uh, everything in between. And so I think it becomes confusing. I, I think it becomes overwhelming for people. And I think for the average person, when you see a huge number like that, and now I'm imposing my view on what's huge and what's not, what seems to me like a huge number, I think there are certain people who just go, oh. I don't, I don't have I'll any I'll never get there by 65, so forget there, it. Uh, ever. I could save for the rest of my life. I'm never going to put away $400,000. So here's Paula Allen. She's the global leader with business and client insights at Telus Health. We spoke to her just after seven. It makes you feel very nervous. And different models come up with slightly different things. You know, we might have one model saying, well, this is the minimum that somebody might need uh, if you look at the average salary. And then somebody else might be uh, might be giving numbers that relate to a different standard of living. So it seems confusing. What is definitely clear, though, is that the more knowledge you have, the better comfort you have in absorbing information, knowing what to do, and your financial anxiety is reduced. So I think it's clear we all need help. My hand is up as well. Ann Arbor is the Director of Strategic Partnerships at the Credit Counseling Society. Ann, thanks for making some time for us today. Good morning. My pleasure. So I think I know the answer, but (laughs) for me, it's probably 30 years ago, but at what stage in life should we be thinking about retirement? Oh, well, I know you know the answer, Um, and it may not always be possible, but the sooner the better. My kids don't want to hear this, but as soon as you start working, honestly, when time is on your side. So what does that look like in terms of a conversation with your kids? My kids just started working this summer. And I'll commend them publicly. They're great little savers. And so their aunt is already talking to them about some of the different tools that she uses for for saving. And, you know, the magic of compounding interest and the magic of just a tiny bit going into an account every single month and you don't even notice it is probably larger than we can imagine. It really is. Um, I'm I'm closer to that 
to that other side than your kids are. And um, it, you know, and I'm a math nerd and it still amazes me. It's true. It's not a secret. But um, yeah, the less we touch our own money, the more we can get in that habit of putting it away. There will be years where, you know, right now, obviously, when your kids don't have, I mean, I'm assuming major responsibility, major life financial responsibilities, there are times in our lives when it's more difficult to save. So the years where we can it really makes a big difference to get time working for you. How can you plan with just so much uncertainty right now, like inflation, gas prices and job fluctuations, interest rate changes? Oh, my. Like, how do you plan with all that stuff going on? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with words like confusing and overwhelming. And it can be for sure for folks to know how to weather the storm. And we're going to be having that conversation. Um, November's Financial Literacy Month. So I'm, I'm hosting a an online panel with some experts to discuss, you know, managing through those storms and actually thriving through those storms, if you can believe it or not. It's largely a Sorry, we'll send them to voicemail. It's largely a factor of, as, as Paula mentioned, getting some information and just taking a deep breath. The more information we have and, and places we know where we can turn for good and solid, reliable information, it takes a lot of stress off and uh, and can help us take a deep breath and, and see the numbers for what they are and take some of the emotion out of it. Are we being realistic enough when it comes to this planning? Because one of the questions that gets asked, and in that survey with us, it was 70% don't know what they need to maintain their lifestyle. And so do we have to look at that phrase, maintain our lifestyle, when it comes to retirement and say, okay, like plan A would be to live this way with this amount, plan B, plan C. How do we adjust the way we're thinking as we head towards hopefully what's our golden years, living as comfortably as we'd like? Yeah, absolutely. And I made a note when you mentioned that around maintaining lifestyle. What does that look like? Um, there are, when it comes to retirement, there's, you know, sort of this, the general wisdom is there are three stages, right? There's the go-go years. You've retired, all of a sudden you can do all the traveling and golfing and all those other wonderful things that you want to do. There's the slow-go years where you may not be, you know, knocking down the doors of all the restaurants and and travel things you want to be doing, and then the no-go years. So what kind of long-term health care do you think you might need? Um, retirement isn't just a, a 10-year window, hopefully. It's much longer. And having those different scenarios for what your needs will be, none of us knows, right? It's, it's contingency planning. Um, and some folks might want to it's different for each of us. It's such a personal number. You know, you might want to leave the city and move out to a much quieter lifestyle, which will require much less money than it will if you don't. So how much of this is applicable to the conversations that we're having right now about our own, you know, maybe our own liquidity, our ability to pay our bills every month and to set that money aside? Just how important are those open, honest conversations to sit down, take a look, at the data and and make those goals and understand what you've got to pay off every month, what you really have as extra or what you really don't have as extra. Is is that a big barrier for folks? I absolutely think so. You, you, I don't mean to, you know, head in the sand. That's, that's the easy way to go when it becomes overwhelming. We run a consumer debt survey every year, also around people's feelings around money. Um, we, released that last February, and I can bet that the numbers are 
the, the emotions around money and the anxiety and the just wanting to hide your head in the sand is much higher because things have progressed through the year. It's really important to know your numbers now. Sit down. Take all the judgment out of it. It is what it is. You are where you are. What are those numbers? What are your monthly obligations now? What money is coming in? And also not forgetting that in retirement, there are other some other sources of money that might be coming in through whether it's CPP or OAS or GIS, those kinds of things, and factoring those in. Um, and there are lots of folks that can sit down and help you with that. Um, and having, depending on your situation, if there's a partner in your life, having those open, honest conversations about what retirement might look like. You might have different plans, dreams, hopes. Oh boy! Don't even throw that wild card <laughs> into it. And so That's you, another conversation. Okay, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So, and for those that maybe are okay, we've had this conversation today. Yeah, I want to speak to someone. I want to. I want to take control of my situation. Uh, can you give us uh, at least one resource where people can reach out? Well, I will give you a very biased resource, which is the Credit Counseling okay. Society. You can call. It's a free completely confidential call and our counselors are really expert at sitting down and getting to the root of the situation and putting some fresh eyes on a budget to show you where there might be some opportunities to improve, let's say, or to tweak things around so that you can get squeeze some extra juice out of the monthly budget um, to start putting some money away for, for retirement. And how do we get a hold of the Credit Counseling Society if somebody needs, a, needs your services? We are at nomoredebts.org, D-E-B-T-S dot O-R-G. And our phone number is one 527 8999 Ann Arbor, Director of... the phone. Director of... I cut you off. I'm sorry. Uh, But we thank you very much for the time, Ann. My pleasure. Thank you. Ann Arbor is the Director of Strategic Partnerships at the Credit Counseling Society. Here's the problem. That conversation is so important, but you know how you hear it and you sort of start to sweat. And then part of you is like texting your partner to say like, hey, we need to, we should sit down tonight and do A, B, and C. And then the other part of you just started looking at vacations because, you know, that seems like a really affordable thing to do right now. <laughs> like your brain just goes, yeah, but you know, but what else? We could also just like do this, right? And it's, it's hard to convince yourself to take even 10 minutes and be, okay. We need to slow down and figure this out. Head in the sand. I think Anne nailed it on the head. If you don't talk about it, if you don't think about it, if you don't admit the problem exists, it doesn't exist, right? And mm-hmm. so for a lot of us, that's that's how we go about it. And it's, it's tough. So for anybody who has uh, decided that today is the day, good on you. Because uh, they... Don't beat yourself up about the things that didn't happen in the past because you cannot fix that.